This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Industry 4.0, the startup studio model, and building SaaS solutions for factories. Today, we have our guest, Renan Divilliers, joining us. Renan is the co-founder and CEO of OSS Ventures, a French firm focused on the creation of startups for manufacturers. After working as an economist at the OECD and co-founder of a startup in Brazil, he founded OSS Ventures to help manufacturers digitize their production sites. Renan is passionate about social and environmental changes, technology, and corporate strategy. He, be- he believes that the collective ability to deal with profound forces like climate change, technology, and modern corps will shape the future of us as humans. So welcome, Renan. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District. Welcome. Thank you for Awesome. So we'd just like to start off, you know, a couple of words. Can you share personal background, past positions, past ventures, up until, you know, launching OSS Ventures a couple of years ago? Yeah, sure. So... First thing to know about me is that I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> I created several hyperspaces, which are very big on open source and code. I was coding things in my backyard. And that was, that was back at the time where I was doing things for professional purpose, being very serious, you can the OCD. Uh, and I was a totally different guy at night. And then I, I, I chose to kind of try to be one guy only. And so I created a big company in Brazil uh, focused on um, on social uh, inequality and access to a first job. It was using uh, machine learning to determine which kind of job people would be good at. Uh, and we were lucky enough to be invested in by Google Ventures, which was an awesome experience. And I discovered San Francisco and the, and the tech scene. And I have to say, being a Frenchman and going to Rio and then discovering the SF tech scene was quite eye-opening, like these guys are not exactly on the same planet as me, eye-opening level. It went good. I, I sold my shares uh, to my investors and co-founders and I went back to France and I chose to launch a startup studio, uh, which is called OSS Ventures. Very cool. So you left Rio, went back to cold in, in Paris. <laughs> and yeah. uh, cool. So, I mean, for, for those in our audience, maybe they're not sure. Can you share a little bit, you know, how does a startup studio model work with those entrepreneurs you work with? How are they being integrated into the, the business model tested? And what kind of SaaS is kind of the industry ad- adopting, if you could speak about that? Yeah. So about the, the startup studio model, uh, 
where some investment firms are seed or pre-seed, when you have just an idea, we invest in people pre-idea. <laughs> so we choose people who want to become entrepreneurs but have no ideas, and we put a team at their disposal of coders and designers, and we go from no ID to having an ID to having a product that works in scale in six to nine months. And launching a new venture costs about around 400k euro, and that cost is for a startup studio. And in exchange for that, we take 20% of each new company that we are creating. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are numerous startup studio. One little known fact is that Snowflake is out from a startup studio. So pretty wow. big success. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> yes. Um, and so on manufacturing and manufacturing 4.0, today factories have been, have been putting machines everywhere for years and decades now. And they are lagging digital-wise, like 10 years behind. Because there are super vendors such as SAP and the likes, that's a system. Uh, and those guys are very good at machines. They are very good at big software out of the 80s. But they are not good at digital data, UX. They are not good at SaaS, basically. And so one fun fact is that, for example, SAP, uh, each year, they, they have 5% research and development budget cuts and 5% more merge and acquisition budgets to buy young SaaS startups. Mm. So they're growing through less through R&D and more through acquisitions. That's basically yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Cool. Um, industry 4.0, what exactly is that? And um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a new term now. I mean, people are speaking more about it recently. And why have you guys decided to invest specifically in this market versus you know, general SaaS or other industries? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Well, let me, let me preface with something. Sure. Manufacturing is 20% of the world GDP. It's 30% of the world's workers. And it's 1% of VC money. Hmm. Wonder why? Mm. Uh, there is hardware and hardware doesn't scale. And mm. people don't know about manufacturing because to go to a manufacturing plant, you have to take your car and go to the countryside. And so the typical tech-enabled white guy uh, is not aware that these places exist at all. And so you usually end up building things for people who are like you. And as the tech scene is not diverse enough and not local enough, they, 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 don't, have, they don't have it in their DNA to go to the factory. So that's the first thing. About factory 4.0, the, the, the term manufacturing 4.0, factory 4.0 has been invented by the German. And basically the German said, we dominated the manufacturing scene by creating machines, selling them to the Chinese and having a kind of street trucks. And then they said, yeah, but every product is becoming a software product, such as Tesla, Tesla, is computer on wheels. It's not a car. It's computer on wheels. Mm-hmm. And every single product is getting digitized and operations by leveraging digitization, machine learning, by leveraging the enormous amount of data that exists in any factory, basically with code, you can enhance operations and enhance the final product. And the Germans, they say, fuck, we batted that. <laughs> <laughs> and they invented the term 4.0 for basically the fact of putting software where there was only hardware. 
in factories. Mm. Wouldn't you say though, like that industry specifically is maybe slower to adopt because they're kind of more old school. I imagine you come into them, you know, you have to drive out, you know, uh, out in the farm trying to present the case and they're like, no, this is just, you know, too, too different for us. We're, we're happy with the way things are. I mean, isn't it, is it kind of a longer process to educate them and trying to convince them? Would you say? So, so I wouldn't say that. What I would say is that there's a culture of technology, but of machine technology in factories. And so if you understand your customer, if you understand the way they think, then adoption is extremely fast. But you have to do the job of understanding the way they think and the way they manage their projects. So in their minds, you have to invest. They know how to invest. You have to get results. They know how to get results, but you also have to understand and be in control. The fact that you have to be in control of your software is deeply embedded in the, in the factory mindset. In, in any given factory, the factory director understands each and every machine he's working with. So packaging an offer and saying, I'm adding with that, it doesn't work. You have to give them the control for them to make their tools. And so, for example, that's why um, no-code tools are very big in factories right now. Mm. Very big. Because it's, it's a place where you have nerds who like organizing, who like tinkering with their systems. And so they need to have that kind of control to be able to adopt. And so adoption of full-blown software as a service, very little customization, very little parametrization is very low, very hard to penetrate. But there's a very high penetration and Fast sales cycle, one quarter maximum mm-hmm. for technology that fit in their thinking. Mm. Got it. So how many how many guys com- how many companies have you guys invested in? So you mentioned you know four hundred k, twenty percent of the cap table goes to OSS Ventures. Yeah. Um, you know, is it one entrepreneur, two entrepreneur, two co-founders that you're investing in? How are you paying them? You know, is that a salary towards them and then towards the team? Can you talk a little bit about how that's broken yeah. down for those companies? Yeah, and, and it's a fun process. So <laughs> there, are, there are three parts in the process. The first process is that the OSS team is in factories two to three days a week. And we are always conducting user research. Always conducting user research on pain points. And then when a pain point is true in more than 70% of our factories, we say, hmm, there may be something there. When we say there may be something there, we go and hunt for four to five clients who say, I'm willing to pay for that. We haven't coded one line yet. We have just four to five factories saying, I'm willing to pay for that. Once we have that, we recruit funders. We recruit one technological funder and one non-technological funder, basically CTO, CEO. The way that we are doing the matching is according to some criteria that I can tell you about. And then we, we tell them, okay, we have those 10 possibilities of companies. And those 10, we have four to five customers for each of those. You pick your choice. And so they pick one and they start building. And when they start building, we have an extremely simple process, which is called the 2-10-12. For two weeks, we work together no matter what. At the end of two weeks, OSS can say, sorry guys, don't don't want to work with you. And the guys can say, Sorry, don't want to uh, to work with you, OSS. And they go with the idea. After 10 weeks, we can do the same. And after 12 weeks, we invest in the company. Mm. So basically, that's 
how we created that. The, the sad statistic is that 35% of funders do, make, do not make it through the 2, 10, 12 process. And it's split heavenly, heavenly between this was not what I, was, what I had in mind as a funder mm-hmm. and OSS saying no. Mm. And during that time period, are you, are you just paying them? Where is that money going? Because you haven't invested the full amount until after 12 weeks. So during that time, is there any money being invested or you're just talking to clients? And sl- Actually, going? yes. The money is the money of my team because mm. roughly okay. half of my costs are the team. So the coders and designer, when you start day one, you have a team of four to five people, full-time coder and designer, and they go with you and start creating and creating process. So basically, you have a full-blown series pre-series A team and five clients the first day you enter OSS. So that's half the cost. So we invest those costs upfront. Mm. And what happens then? So you build, let's say, an MVP, you've built something, you're talking to clients, they agree to it, maybe they're ready to write a check, 10 weeks comes in and you're, they're like, you know, I'm out. Do you, do you guys just say, hey, go to the clients and say, sorry, we, we uh, abandoned this project. Or do you now go find somebody else who wants to take it over? Because that's kind of a weird position, right? You're, yeah, you're stuck yeah. with this company you started. So what's, yeah, what's fun, what's fun is that we created what we call the early stage uh, adopters. And the early stage adopters is, I was alone at the time, a little over two years ago. And I, I said to them, okay, look, you're going to let me enter your factory. I'm going to send designers and coders, and I'm going to co-create technological products with you, and you're going to pay nothing until it works. Mm. So don't sign for that is one, speed. I'm allowed to go to your factory the next day after asking. So one, speed. And two, Sorry, it's going to be messy. Sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes it's going to pivot. Sometimes funders are going to say no, but it's life. And so iterate with us. And so the factories, when I went to them, I said to them, I'm going to bring real tech people to the factories. Mm. And you're going to benefit from that, seeing them work, co-creating, and you're going to be early adopters, so you're going to have discounts and you're going to, to, to have pain points solved. But the downside for that is you're going to have the kind of messy process because that's how life is. Sure, makes sense. And when it comes to kind of the fundraising, I mean, so I think you said you have around eight companies now that have passed that 12-week stage and are kind of in process. Okay, Um, you know, further down the, the line and the fundraising process, can you share any ways how you help the founder? Do you help them raise future rounds of capital? And if so, is there any best practices for, you know, building those effective pitch decks or how do you guys work at that point? So the first, I'm going to give you a uh, first first announcement. Uh, we uh, we are cla- closing the fund to follow on next fundraising mm. of the companies. Uh, of the we we launched nine companies, and out of the nine, four raised what could be considered as a Series A, uh, two of which privately. Basically, the first thing that I tell funders is numbers don't lie. And numbers are you go to bread and butter. For each SaaS that we are creating, we aim for very simple metrics. Positive net monthly recurring revenue per cohort growing 15% quarter on quarter. Overall 40% growth of revenue quarter on quarter. Less than 1% churn 
And they use divided by total potential users more than 50 persons. If you have that, (laughs) (laughs) anybody will invest in that. Yeah. 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 And so what we are doing, which is very particular, is that as an investment fund, as a startup studio, Thursday, we, we put the metrics and we say, those are the metrics you're looking for. And so we are going to iterate the product having those metrics in mind. Another, we have, that's, that's like the golden metrics. And we say, basically, you can write those, those numbers of notion and put a link and you're going to have term sheet on the table. So that's the first part of the advice. The second part of the advice, of course, is to have a powerful vision, uh, uh, an opinion on what the world should be and what the organization should be. And for that, uh, we have workshops and we select founders for a strong ability to execute and to have that kind of vision. Uh, but what I say, and this is something that I really learned uh, in, in, in Silicon Valley, which is to be a real dreamer, you have to be really pragmatic and have excellent numbers. Mm-hmm. Because if you are just a dreamer and you don't have excellent numbers, it's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. After that, on the fundraising process, actually the European scene is very active fundraising-wise. And a uh, little sad to say, but given the, the, the current state of affairs, uh, we have zero competition in our vertical of manufacturing products. I imagine, yeah. Hmm. Uh, so I guess, you know, you have capital, you have idea. You know, most important, I think, is the, the people. Um, do you have a framework or process you can share on how you decide you know, filter out which entrepreneurs you'll invest and work with. Where are you getting them? Do you have the idea? Is it their experience? Is it a specific background you're looking for? Um, what, what have you kind of come down to narrow down as, as, as good fits? So I wish there was a pattern. <laughs> and I wish it was science because I'm a nerd and I love math. Yeah. And so far there is not. But we have themes um, and also ability to work with OSS. The, the, the obvious, I'm going to just say it straight away, but wicked smart, uh, very hardworking, very upbeat with a strong drive, uh, and grit, determination. And then one consistent trait that we have among our best funders is that they learn at an, at an astonishing state. They are, they are, they are able to learn at a pace that is almost scary. And so what we say in, in, in OSS that we stole to, to another investor is we can invest in lines and not in dots. Mm-hmm. And so what's important is the line. And so our youngest founder is 22. Our oldest is 54. We have 35% women, which is not enough, but we are going to have more. We have 60% who are out of France and not having the French nationality. And so there's almost no pattern. But ability to learn is really, really, really important. And of course, you have to be, to have grit, to be smart, to be hardworking, but ability to learn and have the humility to, to say, I'm going to do it anyways. Blah 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 is, is really a trade that is extremely important. That's for the first part. The second part is, and that is very very particular in our in our line of work, is that we are recruiting founders and putting them in pairs. Mm. And so the most common reason of splits 
of early founders is they cannot work together. <laughs> and so we have a process where they talk about certain topics and they see how they work and they have agreed on how they work together and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, this alchemy is very, very strange. One of our best performing uh, founder duo is a very unlikely, one guy is a surgeon and the other one is a guy who created a pastry company in, in Morocco. And basically those are some of our best performing founders in a sales business. So really no pattern. And one thing that we are trying to really get away from is credentialism. Mm. I, School, Harvard, NBA, none of that. Yeah. Nobody gives them about that. (laughs) We're really trying to get away also for a very pragmatic reason. It's because people who are hitting the glass ceiling that they should not hit Mm -hmm. and come to OSS and outperform are part of our competitive advantage. Interesting. So there's, there's, huh, there's no way. I mean, you just like, I mean, so you said grit, uh, you know, hardworking tenacity, they're, you know, they're interested. They want to learn. You can't really measure that. Can you, I mean, at, at upfront, is there a way you're testing them out for freaking other than the two week period? So we have, we have cases, we have yeah. cases that are supposed to, to test for that. For example, okay. one of our, our cases is uh, saying, uh, a product that you love, and then drilling down on that product and saying, okay, what are the unit economics? What do you think is the biggest challenge? Well, you are the product manager or the CEO of that company. What do you do? And, and trying to test for that. The reality is, I would say that the, the initial testing does about 30% of the job. Mm. But the 2, 10, 12 process does the rest of the job because Makes sense. we've all been there working with someone for two and then for 10 weeks. You know how it's going to be. Right? <laughs> Uncertainty drops down to zero. Interesting. So, in terms of the, a little bit more on the operational side, so development, marketing, you have coders, you have designers. Uh, on the product management in the in the industry you're operating, you know, you're going in, the guys are going in, they're trying to learn, they're talking to the people, they're trying to understand, trying to build things based on talking to people. Um, what happens after that? Uh, with the factories you're working with. Can you talk a little bit of, of how that goes after, let's say, the 12 weeks? You guys are ready, you're investing. Where are you guys allocating that capital and to, to really you know fuel growth? So, so basically, uh, after the 12 weeks, they stay in the studio, so in, in-house, until they get about 20K monthly recurring revenue. We, we think they're out of the water when they reach 20 to 50K monthly recurring revenue because that is a milestone, you know? Yeah. So that you can have a lot of issue, but early product market is the launch. Mm. We have that in the channel. And so we, we get the team until then. We help them with recruiting and generally they get out <laughs> and they either respond or bootstrap. One of the, the beauty of the startup studio system is that we don't give a damn if they raise out because as we are evergreen, our interest is strictly tied to that of the funders. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Is is there a specific market? Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more specific that you're really bullish on, let's say in the next three to four years, and maybe 
you would go all in and you'd bet all your kind of net worth or capital in, uh, specifically when it comes to SaaS solutions for, for factories and manufacturers. And I'm saying this for maybe there's people in the audience who are maybe thinking about building something and they want some ideas or markets that they should explore. First, if you don't build something, you may them for to come to business. That's, mm. that's first. Mm-hmm. And second, to me, there are three markets and three verticals on which I'm extremely good. The first is cybersecurity. Mm. So basically, cybersecurity in legacy company level is extremely low. And everything that has been done in marketing in the last 10 to 15 years you can create almost a copycat, a copycat and just take the market by storm. Mm. And the, 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 the overall budget just for IT cybersecurity in factories in Europe is $19 billion. Wow. Entirely trusted by consultants. <laughs> That's nice markets. Right. And so you can name any cybersecurity offering that has been done for e-commerce in the last 10 years and the copycat does not exist in my African. So mm-hmm. that's first. Extremely bullish on that. So that's the first. Second is a data orchestration platform and data semantics platforms in factories. Basically in factories, uh, a, a typical factory is about 40 to $60 million investments. Mm-hmm. Of that, about 1 to 1.5 million is software. You have literally terabytes of data and no orchestration, no semantic layer to make them interoperable and no data, data science to make mm. it smart. Mm. <laughs> makes sense. So yeah. So basically this is a mongoose market. That's, manu- that's all manually done by engineers right now, right? On spreadsheets. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. My, my, my favorite example of that is that one of my clients two weeks ago, he bought a new machine, 2.5 million euro. He loads new programming on that machine using a USB stick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's telling you about the market. Okay. So that's, that's the second thing that I'm extremely bullish on. Okay. And the third uh, vertical on which I'm extremely bullish uh, is job-specific SaaS that take one function and just automate that and APIs that. So for example, supply chain manager, they are doing the same, same work, same line of work, mm. all day, every day. And there is no objective uh, value to their, to their work. It could be automated. And two, there is no improvement feedback loop that acts. And so if you APIs that, you can literally make 10 to 15 basis point performance improvements. Mm. So you're basically replacing jobs, is what you're saying. I mean, automation of the services. Yeah. yeah. Huh, love it. Well, UiPath, a European company, Mm-hmm. UiPath is doing just that, taking the almost no-code route. And there is the top route, creating jobs with success. Right. UiPath, right? You said? Yeah. yeah, UiPath. Yeah, nice. Cool. Um, this, is, this has been good, Renan. Uh, I, w- I want to kind of switch gears here. Let's go kind of more personal here, uh, you know, into the yeah, rapid-fire yeah. questions. So looking back now, I mean, you built a startup, you've done a lot of and you know, now you're, you're helping a lot of uh, entrepreneurs build their own kind of uh, the businesses. What, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and now would tell your 25-year-old self? Never stay in a company or organization that say to you, you should not. 
Mm. So they're not supporting you? Yeah. That's what you're saying here. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And, it's, and I feel shot in the subtitle. Love it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue, you know, your own portfolio and investments, and you know, meaning what keeps you up at night these days? Well, two things. The, the first is funders, funders quality. My what what I said is I want in the next two years that some star product manager at Stripe, that Stripe a product manager, says. There is only one place that I want to launch a company at, and it's OS Adventure. <laughs> so that is my, that's what I want to do. And so to do that, we have to up the deal and make the deal sweeter and sweeter and sweeter for the, for the, for the startups and for the funders. It's, it's really what I want, what, what we need to do. I think, uh, I think we can do it. So that's the first thing that, that, that's keeping me up at night. The second thing that's keeping me up at night is that we are, Currently, using the secret sauce of cross-selling from existing startup to existing startup, as we are in the same vertical, mm. and I think in the next two to three quarters, we should have as an objective to double the quarterly growth of all the startups just using cross-selling. And so organizing that, making it so that it sticks, that it makes incredible value, uh, factory side, like as a side director, I think it has incredible value. This, because this is sweet as a deal for a film. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Um, Bernard, what would you say, who or what are some of the best three resources? I mean, this could be books. These can be people you know you follow, it could be mentors who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years. So not not to be not to be sweet, but Sastra is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason's awesome. Yep. Yeah, and um, books wise, I think zero to one is a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I I was a fan of the Lean Startup, but I think it's kind of getting a little old today on some aspects, but it's, it's a good book to start. Um, and a, a third one uh, is, I would say, uh, programs, notes, and notebook, like white minute advice and everything. One thing that, I, that I'm consistently seeing is that in France and in Europe and in the world, I'm talking to Indian founders, I'm talking to Chinese founders, the Silicon Valley mindset and the white community ethos is going to look out. Mm. And I think it's much more important to internalize that mindset and understand what's at stake and how you behave when you have that kind of mission. And you, you can do it from anywhere in the world. It's, it's, it's a really interesting time we are living in it because you can do it from anywhere in the world and you can do it with like 20 bucks on your account because mm. everything is online now. Everything right. in the cloud. Right. No excuse not to do it now. Yeah. Mm. Bernard, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, financially, business, life, no right answer. Yeah, uh, personally, I, I want to have an impact in the world and, and try to make my idea of what's right mm-hmm. win. So that's, that's particular. And for example, my idea of what's, what's right is the brightest minds in our generation should be working on solving big issues like climate change, like fabricability, like CO2 capture, 
a little less of optimizing advertisements. Like it's been done, guys. That's that's just something else. <laughs> <laughs> And every step that I can do in that and having the maximum impact that I can do on that, uh, I feel like it's a good day and success. And I've, I've been lucky enough to have some money. Uh, I'm really lucky because I'm married to, you know, to, to my wife who is awesome. And, and I think I'm very lucky in that. And now it's more of a responsibility to try to do my part, like uh, shaping the world in what I think is the right direction regarding those enormous subjects. Just one stat. Um, today, factories and operational organizations account for 42% of all CO2 emissions. Hmm. Are, you, you go to a factory and you ask a very simple question. How many founders, startups talk to you this, this year? And the mean, the average answer is 2.1. And it's five times less than marketing director. Makes sense. Well, surprising, but makes sense. Yeah, but it's a shame. Underserved, lots of opportunity. That's what I hear. Nice, nice. Love it. Renan, where can our, our audience going to touch with you, learn more about you, OSS Ventures, and maybe if they want to apply to also be part of your program? They, they should go to, to our website, uh, oss.ventures. Very, very particular. Uh, and they can reach us out on LinkedIn, on Medium. I'm also active on Twitter. And so please, and one one thing maybe that I, that I should be saying about that is if you're not sure, you should start anyways. Mm, so if you're not sure you want to be a founder, send that email, go to that coffee meeting, like do it. It's to lose. You never know what will come out of it. Love it. This has been awesome, Renan. I appreciate you jumping on. Lots of good advice. And uh, if you guys are interested, guys, please check out oss.ventures and uh, give a shout out to Renan for jo joining today. Thank you so much, Renan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.